0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 830 or 1045. Find out more at asburybosier.org. The Lord be with you. Uh, Our prayer tonight comes... This is a great... um, This is a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, It's uh, a collection of Eucharistic prayers, uh, which is a fancy way of saying prayers uh, of great thanksgiving like the, the formal communion gathering. You know, the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Um, and it's a collection uh, of Eucharistic prayers, and it's just, it's beautiful. So let this be our prayer uh, today. God of mercy, shape your church to embody the forgiveness you make possible in Christ. Have compassion on your sons and daughters who suffer the isolation Of shame or disgrace. Give courage and conviction to any who find it difficult to forgive a brother or sister from the heart, and console your children whose pleas for clemency are unheeded. Bring your kingdom near in every place. Draw us into your eternal life, that heralding your emancipation and proclaiming your liberation. Together with your people of every age, we may be bound to you forever, in one perfect freedom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Isn't that beautiful language. Uh, and there's a, a prayer for every Sunday, for every year of, every cycle of the um, lectionary. Our lectionary—it's a three-year cycle. Uh, uh, For those of you keeping score, there's year A, year B, and year C of the lectionary. Uh, We are currently in year B, so you can mark that on your calendar. Oh, good, we're in year B of the lectionary cycle. Um, When does the next year begin? Which Sunday? Any all-stars out there know when the, the new lectionary cycle begins? The first Sunday of Advent. Thanks, Claude. Very good. The first Sunday of Advent is the first Sunday of the Christian year. Uh, so on the first Sunday of Advent, we will begin year C of the lectionary cycle. A uh, little fun fact for you. That's for free. Uh, you can just uh, have that one. Um, I'm passing out a, this is a timeline of Paul's life and uh, missionary journey. Um, if you try to look at this on a map, it does look like a hurricane spaghetti map of where he's been and where he's gone and where he backtracked, And uh, but this is a an easier easier way to to see it. Sure. There we go. There we go. There we go. Indiscriminately, just passing these out. You're welcome. So you can both have one on the nightstand. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, so tonight we're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 15 through 17. We're also going to take a look at Galatians chapter 2. Because um, this is, uh, again, as we're reading the book of Acts, we're beginning to see uh, some division in the church. Uh, but we also get to see how the Holy Spirit answers that division uh, in the church uh, with some, uh, some amazing teachings. Uh, we'll also see quite a difference between the way Acts records Paul's life and how Paul himself writes about it in Galatians and in, uh, in his letters. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. And this, is when, this is when Bible study gets fun. <laughs> when we read both Acts, like when we read about Paul in Acts, but then we read Paul in his own words about himself and, and seeing some of the differences there. Yes, sir? Well, Galatians was the extra reading, I think, from last week. Um, but it's, yeah. So Acts 15, and the reason we're just we're going to touch on it is because Paul mentions the Jerusalem Council in Galatians chapter 2, which is Acts 15. Uh, and it's interesting to see uh, the slight different take that the author of Acts has with Paul on the same. This is one of, this is, reading Acts and Galatians in tandem uh, is a great lesson for leadership because the truth is always somewhere in the middle, right? The author of Acts has a particular opinion about how the Jerusalem Council went, and Paul has a particular opinion about how the Jerusalem Council went, and somewhere kind of in the middle of that is where God lives. Um, so just, uh, this will this, be great. Any initial questions before we, before we dive in? Seeing none, Acts chapter 15. Let's jump into it. <clears throat> this is the uh, Council at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It is uh, considered uh, a pre-ecumenical council. So this isn't, um, it's not like the Council of Nicaea um, uh, or, or the other councils of, of the early church. Uh, this, this really predates that. But this is, though, one of, the, one of the first big councils of the church, right? Where they sit together, they debate something, they wrestle with it, and then they have a decision and they move on uh, with their life, right? <clears throat> so chapter 15 then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So one, when it, it always says go up to Jerusalem. And it's not like, how you always go up to Oxford, um, it's literally a, um, an elevation. So you always go up to Jerusalem. It's not a north-south. It's an elevation thing. So they went up, up to Jerusalem. So, so there's this division already. Do you have to be circumcised in order to be in union with Christ? And the question really that they're wrestling with is, do you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Is what they're wrestling with. Namely because, again, Paul's mission to the Gentiles is catching fire. And the folks in Jerusalem are saying, we're, we're not sure about this. We're, we're not sure this is supposed to go beyond the children of Israel. So they're re- wrestling with a, a legitimate concern uh, of the early church. And if it does, if it does go to the Gentiles, what of the Jewish law must they retain? Right? Uh, and, in other words, if they, don't have to do, if they don't have to keep any of the Jewish law then the Jews are saying, what the heck, man? Like, we have to eat certain things and worship on certain days, and, but these guys don't have to do any of that? But then conversely, if the Gentiles have to become Jewish and under the law, then what Paul would say is, then Jesus died for nothing, if they have to live under the law in order to be under Christ. So a real controversy that they're trying to wrestle with. Verse 3, so they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia And Samaria, they reported the conversion of Gentiles and brought great joy to all believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and, became, uh, and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. little pause, little footnote. Paul remembers this interaction with Peter and the council quite differently than is remembered in the book of Acts. Um, well, I won't... I just kind of... All right, I'll just... I can see Paul, like, rolling his eyes at this point. Because Peter says, I'm the one who is appointed to go to the Gentiles, and I have... And Paul's like, really? <laughs> really, Peter? Anyway. Um, the whole assembly kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told all of the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My, James, who is the leader of the church, traditionally, uh, well, maybe Jesus' brother, um, though that it doesn't say, I, James, the brother of Jesus. But traditionally it's understood that James is, James is don't tell, Protestants believe that James is Jesus' actual flesh and blood brother in the family. Uh, so there's kind of this succession in Jerusalem when Jesus left that James took over the, the, the Jerusalem church. Uh, but that's a, that's a Protestant understanding uh, of that. Uh, Catholics believe in the perpetual vir- virginity of Mary. Um, to which my mother said, oh, poor Joseph. Um, After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all the peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making all things known for a long time. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write them to abstain from only things. And here's, here's here's the list, three things. They should abstain only from things polluted by idols, abstain from fornication, and abstain from whatever has been strangled and from blood. So it's four things. Anything that has been strangled and anything that has blood within it. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogue. So, James, what's... um, What's conspicuously absent from this discussion? Who hasn't yet been mentioned? In terms of the church trying to make a decision of how they should live as Christ lived, who haven't they yet mentioned? Jesus. (laughs) Um, That's one of the remarkable things about the book of Acts. They didn't say, well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 3 that the Gentiles should... They 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 don't they 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 don't quote well one the gospels had not been put together quite yet Um, when certainly when the story took place around about thirty this is um, I think around about fifty A.D. somewhere ballpark fifty A.D. is when the Jerusalem Council happened I should know that I'll look that up I apologize it's something like forty eight A.D. Something like that. 49? Boom. Where, where was it? Is it on the paper I handed out? Super. I read it in great detail. Um, <laughs> 40, okay, good. Yeah, so in between 48 and 50, so we'll call it 49, uh, is when the Jerusalem Council happened. Um, and the, the Gospels really didn't come into the scene until at least like 60 AD, uh, is, is probably round them out, or, or 70-ish is when Mark came about. Uh, when Mark was written down, not not created, but was written down from from oral tradition. So interestingly, um, uh, before we go to Galatians, I want to uh, lift this up. Um, look at if you have your Bible. Uh, look at Romans fourteen. I find this I find this fantastic, and I've I've preached on this before. Um. <clears throat> so in Romans. So the four stipulations uh, in the church is uh, you should abstain from things polluted by idols. We'll just stop right there. So in the Roman church, um, they were trying to discern whether or not they should eat meat that had been sacrificed at pagan temples. And again, you couldn't just go to Walmart to get a, a good rack of ribs. You had to go to the, the local pagan temple where the sacrifices were being, uh, being held. Um, so in, in the Roman church, there were meat eaters, And not meat eaters. Uh, And it was based on whether or not they should abstain from things polluted by idols. Now, when this controversy came up, Paul could have said, when they asked, should we eat meat or should we not eat meat? Should we abstain? Paul could have said, well, it says very clearly in the Jerusalem Council in 49 AD that you cannot eat this meat. End of story. That's not what Paul said. (laughs) Romans 14, I love this. He says, "...welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them." Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand." Um, And then he talks about, uh, look at verse 13. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. That's remarkable for him to say. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thus, uh, the one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And I think this is the verse you underline. Do not, for the sake of food destroy the work of God Um, and and I've preached on this before where you can kind of imagine there's some folks on the right and some folks on the left or if you prefer there's some folks in the yellow corner of the room and some folks in the green corner of the room and the folks in the yellow corner of the room are saying that's right we have to abstain from meat and these stinking filthy heathens are eating meat and they're destroying the church Uh, and and, uh, Paul looks at them and says hey don't pass judgment uh, uh, on them. Uh, for, well, first he looks at the people in, in, in the green corner. Let me, let me get my road map here. Um, the folks in the, in the, in the green corner are saying, of course we can eat meat. Like, the, 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 these pagan gods don't exist. It's all fine. Like, we, we, can, we, we like our ribs. Like, let's eat meat, and it's fine. And the people over here are saying, they're destroying the church because they're not abstaining. So Paul kind of looks at the folks in the, in the green corner of the room saying, um, of course you can eat this meat because we know that these gods don't exist. And you are not blaspheming God by eating this meat. Well, at this point, they're, like, cheering. Like, yeah, that's right, we told you, ha, 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 you Puritans, you know, blah, blah. Bible beaters, you know, we won, we won. But then, but then um, he, he, he looks at them, and, and, and they're upset. He's like, look, don't pass judgment on them, on them either. The reason you're abstaining from this meat is because you're weak in faith. And then he looks at them again and says, and by the way, if what you're eating causes the ruin of someone else, you should abstain. So I love this. So both sides are looking at each other saying, wait a minute, who who won? <laughs> who won the argument? The answer is Jesus won, right? That, that should always be, you know, which did the right or the left win? Uh, we, we know we're, we're giving a an holy answer when both the right and the left say, wait a minute, who won that? Uh, well, Jesus did, right? So yes, you can eat this meat, but you should abstain if it's causing the ruin of someone. And by the way the reason you're not eating meat is because you're weak in the faith. Wow. So both sides were what? And 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 the, the church survived to this for thousands of years to where we are today. It's great. I love that. And what 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 is to note is that this these stipulations that, J, that James gave Paul at the Jerusalem Council, Paul completely ignored the first stipulation. They must abstain from anything polluted by idols. Uh, that's, and that's not what Paul, Paul, like, in real time, with real people, sat and figured it out. He could have said, well, James said in Jerusalem you can't do it. Sorry, my hands are... T- the discipline says, I, I can't... You know, sorry. You know. He said, no, no, of course. See, that's why I love the book of Acts. It's because it's people wrestling with something uh, in real time. It's fantastic. Uh, verse 22, going back to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Then the apostles and the elders with the consent of the whole church decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, uh, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, uh, with the following letter. So they now give them a letter of the pronouncement of the, um, this is the beginning of the book of Discipline. They, they give him a letter from from. Uh, The ivory tower, telling them uh, what they should do. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instruction from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously... To choose representatives and send them to you along with uh, our beloved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening is there are people who are proclaiming a gospel that is unfamiliar to the folks in Jerusalem. And they're trying to systematize that teaching. Folks have come to you. They came from us, but they did not have permission from us. So what we're going to do, we're going to send our official emissaries from Jerusalem to go to you and give you the orthodox teaching that we have unanimously decided upon. Right? So you can see that that there's something, I don't want to say that there's a hierarchy born because I don't think that's quite right, but there is a James who's in charge of the Jerusalem church saying, this is official sanctioned teaching from us. Right? You begin to see this being formed, right? Um, I find it so interesting that sometimes churches, new churches in particular, uh, are built for people who don't like church. Like come, our, it's not—it's—it's it's not church. Just come and hang out with us, and it's not church. But once you get a critical mass going, you have to have things like a budget <laughs> and a group of people who make decisions. And then all of a sudden, like, we didn't sign up for this. Like, well, once you get a group of people together, you have to have some kind of institution isn't bad. Bad institutions are bad, right? Not just institution itself, right? You have to have some order. You have to have some hierarchy. Uh, And, you know, but people also make mistakes, too, right? Like, James could be totally wrong. Um, You know, that's, you know, as we said at the beginning of Bible study, no one person has authority on interpretation of Scripture, It's good Protestant ethic, right? Are we okay so far? Are we good? Any questions? All right? Good. Um, Let's look at Galatians chapter 2. That's the end of um, chapter, I think that's the end of chapter 15. It's, hold on. Yeah, let's pause and let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, we get kind of Paul's interpretation of the Jerusalem council, which is a little bit different than what's remembered in the book of Acts. So this is chapter 2 of Galatians. Have, have we found it yet? Yeah? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Yeah? Chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So understand that the Jerusalem council happened about 14 years after Paul, Paul's conversion. Uh, which Paul even remembers a little bit differently than the book of Acts does. But we, we don't have time to get into that. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up in response to a revelation. Then I laid before them, though only in a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, that's going to be important, the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that I proclaim, that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek. But because of false believers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus so that they might enslave us, we did not submit to them even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those who are supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. (laughs) He's so... Paul can be quite snide with his asides. (laughs) I love that. Um, uh, Yeah, verse 6. And those who are supposed to be acknowledged leaders, (laughs) what they actually were, Uh, makes no difference. God will judge them too, (laughs) whatever they are. Uh, Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, which is not quite what Peter reports in the book of Acts, um, for he... um, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, uh, which is just another name for, for Peter, it's the Greek name, uh, and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only one thing. See, Paul does not outline the four stipulations here. He says, they only asked one thing, that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. But when... Here, here, here we go. This is <laughs> Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James... The head of the church in Jerusalem. Until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Because Paul and Barnabas split, and we'll, we'll read that, but they, they split ways. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, quote, (laughs) If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? End quote. In other words, your whole faculty is based on Gentiles have to be Jewish in order to be Christian, but you yourself who are a Jew live like a Gentile until the Jews see you doing it. How can you then convince them to live like a Jew if you yourself are a Jew and don't live like one? And that's, like a, that's Paul's like drop the mic moment in scripture. Boom. We ourselves, the verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, yet, we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Or do you have a footnote there? Faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have a footnote? It's a slight translation. It's a tiny little word, but it means a lot. Sometimes that can be translated as the faith of Jesus Christ. So the, the Greek word is kai, K-A-I. Often it's translated as having faith in Jesus Christ, but it can also be translated as having the faith of Jesus Christ. Tiny little word, but it makes a huge theological difference in how we are saved. Um, and and, and we, we have mostly translated it as having, the, having faith in Christ, right? Believing in Christ, because that's the overarching narrative. Uh, and then the fun of Bible study is to realize that, could it be that sometimes Paul means the faith of Christ, meaning being, having the fidelity of Jesus to God's mission? Not just believing in Jesus, but having the faith of Jesus, meaning being faithful to the mission of God, to the point of death. See what I'm saying? It's, it's an and, I think. It's an and and not an or, right? Right. Um, but just, just a fun little footnote there. And a lot, several Bibles have footnotes every time you see faith in Jesus. There's a little footnote that says, some manuscripts say, of Jesus. So just throwing that out there. So that Bible study is, is fun and enjoyable uh, for you. Um, we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by the faith in Christ or faith of Christ. And not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. Verse 17 But if, in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? No. Or, excuse me, certainly not. But if I build up again the very things I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. He's talking about Peter, by the way. For for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Footnote there. Who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you're making Gentiles become Jewish and live under the law in order to become Christian, Jesus died for nothing, is what Paul says. He got a little hot under the collar about it. And it's remembered forever in Scripture. Him opposing Peter to his face. All right, flipping back to Acts chapter fifteen. Sorry about it. Um, Flipping back to Acts chapter fifteen. Let's see. Let's first um, verse thirty, chapter fifteen, verse thirty. Um. verse 36 um oh this is i learned a new word today um uh no what is it boulderizing b o w d l e r i z i n g boulder boulder boulderizing um and anyone know what that word means excellent good we can all learn something new um so the, the Raymond Brown text that I showed you on the first Sunday, the introduction to the New Testament, says that Acts chapter 15 is a boulderizing of, of the account. And What he means, boulderizing means to omit some language in order to soften its context. It, it's kind of a, a fancy, educated way of saying it's probably been censored to soften the tone of the disagreement between Peter and, and Paul. There's boulderizing going on in Acts chapter 15. There you go. So when that comes up on HQ on your app, because there's a quiz show. Do you know HQ, the app? That's fantastic. This is a quick rabbit. Quick rabbit, I'll just throw it out there. There's an app called HQ, and it's a live uh, quiz show every night at 8 o'clock. And you can win, like, real money. But I'm a Methodist, but it's, so I don't play it for money. I just, I just, do, it. I just do it for, for fun. I haven't won anything, because I can't ever get past, like, question seven. But it's just fun. Balderizing, so now you can win Jeopardy. Um, Verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, traditionally the author of Mark, But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. So Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, uh, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening their churches. So Paul and Barnabas have now split. Do you see how the rising? uh, it says, well... Barnabas wasn't with us the whole time, so it's probably best for Paul to take Silas and, and Barnabas uh, to go with John Mark. Um, how does Galatians record that parting of ways? Paul's like, Peter's hypocrisy has destroyed even Barnabas, where Barnabas has been destroyed by their hypocrisy, right? Do you see the, the slight acts is, is, is um, you know, in other words, Paul was not writing his letters thinking that they would be canon. <laughs> Excuse me, or frankly, for public consumption, uh, Acts is much more formal, much more balderized, in order to kind of soften the, the narrative and the tone. That you know, Paul and Barnabas they just split ways because for logistics, you know, Paul's like, no, he's a hypocrite. I don't want to be with hypocrites. So anyway, this is fun. Bible study's fun. Chapter sixteen. Um, Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Paul went out um, also to Lystra, Lystra, uh, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Euconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. This is so very interesting. (laughs) Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul, his whole endeavor is you don't have to be circumcised in order to be a believer. But because he's going with Timothy to a group of Jewish Christians, he had Timothy circumcised so that he would be effective in ministry. Yeah. Paul, Paul's such an interesting character. Uh, because in, in, in a minute, uh, he's going to be arrested. You know, Paul is saying, I, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a fa- I grew up as a Pharisee. And, but then he gets arrested, and, and they start beating him. And he goes, you would beat a Roman citizen? It's like when he's in jail getting beaten up, he's Roman. And when he's spreading the word, he's, he's a Jewish Christian you know, who has roots from Abraham. And as Paul says, I am, I am all to all. Right? He's a bit of a chameleon. Um, it's so interesting that, that God chose someone like Paul to share this gospel because he's adaptable and can move in and out and be effective in lots of contexts. Not totally effective, and you'll read this in the book of Acts because it says that sometimes they believed, uh, sometimes they didn't. And they, they just kind of moved on. But I find it so interesting because Paul's whole, not his whole mission, but one of his major points of his Gentile mission is you do not have to be circumcised, but then he brings Timothy with him. And in order to be effective in that ministry, Timothy is circumcised. But if he's not circumcised, they're going to focus on him not being circumcised instead of being a believer. Yeah, exactly. Um, context matters, right? Um, especially in, uh, I, I tell young preachers this, um, be very careful if early in the sermon you ask a question and you don't give an answer to that question. Because if you ask a question and don't tie a bow on it, the rest of the congregation is trying to answer that question for themselves, and, and they'll miss the next seventy-five percent of whatever you're trying to say, right? Um, yeah, if he wasn't circumcised, then they would have focused on that and might not have heard what they were trying to say. And so, for pastoral effectiveness, <laughs> could you imagine that Board of Ordained Ministry meeting? So that you're effective at Asbury, we're going to have to ask you only to do one thing, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, and I, I'm um, I'm a big believer in this. In trying to figure out the language you need to use in order to communicate the gospel, uh, and you'll see this later when 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 Paul goes to Athens, he goes. You see that statue over, you have over there to the unnamed god. Let me tell you about that unnamed god, and he quotes a Greek poem while he does it. Um and the poem he well, we'll get into I'll just tell you since we're there so um, when we get there you're like oh uh, he quotes a poem that talks about uh, the creation of the universe and, and the stars and where they are and where they go and that's the poem he chooses to quote because he's talking about the creator of the universe this unnamed God it's, it's fascinating the way that he's able to use a language that makes sense right um, to the Jew I was a Jew to the Greek I was a Greek you know um, I mean, it has its limits. Like, I'll, I'll never wear a Dallas Cowboy shirt. There, I mean, there are some limits, you know, that you just can't can't cross. I'll be all to all with some footnotes, right? You know, um, but I, I'm a big believer in that, in in, in trying to understand um, your audience and what kind of language to use and what kind of, like, for example, uh, when I was at the well down in Ponchatoula, uh one of the, and I think I've, I think I've told you this before. I know I've told you this before. Uh, we had a um, because Jeff Smith wants me to do it again, and I said, "I don't, I don't know." Uh, our Linton series it was called one year was called Jesus Who, uh, and we retold Jesus' life using music by the Who, uh, and it was fantastic. And that was our Linton Sunday morning Linton, and then on Holy Thursday, we put it all together and had a concert. You know, we're not gonna take it down now, now, We're not gonna take it. We're talking about Jesus' baptism. I'm free. Down, 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 now, down, down, down. I'm free. You know, and they loved it, man. They're eating it up, and it was all you know. Though I did have some members say, "Hey, for next year, it was great. It was great, but next year, can we have like a normal Holy Thursday service?" <laughs> um, and we, we called it a hookerist, um, like a Eucharist, but by the who, a hookerist. Uh, and someone literally brought brought a hookah to it. I was like, "No, sorry, you misunderstood <laughs> what this is about." I mean, I dig it. That's fun. That's funny. That's that's hilarious. But, um, you know, um, I, I'm I'm just going out on a limb. I don't think a Sunday morning, hookerist would fit the context of Asbury. I don't think. Um, but you, yeah, yeah. Tom's like, heck yeah, man. Tom shows up in a tie dye shirt. You know, we're not gonna take it down now. Now 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 now. We talk about Jesus' healings. He goes, see me, feel me. Touch me, heal me. It's, it's fa- I mean, it's good, but context, right? You've got to figure out the context. And Paul, Paul's a master at it. Uh, so, Timothy, is, he's bringing Timothy uh, to go uh, speak uh, to some Jewish Christians. So, Timothy is circumcised. Because you've got to do what you've got to do to spread the word of Jesus, right? Um, Paul's, oh, yeah. And, and one thing to note is, is starting around uh, this section of, of Acts... Uh, is, is really where Paul's story now takes off. The first half of Acts is very much about Peter, and now it's going to be very much about Paul. right? And you can see that on your sheet of where Paul went. He went all over the place, uh, back and forth and around and up and down. Okay. Um, oh, okay, something to note. When you look at uh, chapter 16, verse 10, this is also super interesting. So far in in the book of Acts, uh, the language has all been in third person. They went here, Paul went there, they went up to Jerusalem, they went... and then I don't want to say magically, that's not the right... um, Surprisingly, verse 10, it says, When he had seen the vision, I mean, Paul had a vision of of someone in Macedonia, uh, which was proof of of God wanting the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, as far as they knew uh, where the ends of the earth were. When he had seen seen this vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. And then verse 11, we set sail from Trous and took a straight course uh, to that place uh, the following day uh, to Neapolis. And from there uh, to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Uh, And it goes on and on. Uh, verse uh, 15, uh, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. Uh, and she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, one day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl. It's, it's, it's in first person. And then just as quickly as it appears, it disappears. Um, when we get to verse 19, but her owners said that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing the city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt and, or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So the the first person, plural, disappears from the narrative. Until Acts chapter 20, verse 5. When they return back to Philippi. So... Scholars either think that these first person narratives was someone who was traveling with Paul. Some folks think that maybe this traveler with Paul stayed in Philippi because the, the first person reappears into the narrative when they get back to Philippi in chapter 20. Or it could be that Phil, um, Paul's um, ministry in Philippi was written in a separate journal or annal, right? And then incorporated into the book of Acts for the, for, the, for the sake of the story. right? They're not quite sure, but it is quite curious as to why it all of a sudden becomes first person. And then it doesn't. There are uh, four times when it becomes first person. These are called the we passages, if you want to write this down. So the first one is chapter 16, verses 10 through 17. Chapter 16, verses 10 through 17. It comes back in chapter 20, verses 5 through 15. It comes back in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And then finally is chapter 27, verse 1, through chapter 28, verse 16. There are four sections of first-person narrative, uh, which is... Um, remarkable in the New Testament um, in terms of literature. Right, so, so some scholars think that it's Luke who is with them in Philippi uh, who's writing this. Uh, they're not quite sure because it doesn't say Paul, Silas, and Luke went to, right? Uh, it doesn't ever give the name of the narrator, right? And I, I really wish it had. <laughs> that would give us a better clue. Uh, but whoever it was that was traveling with Paul, Could be the author of Acts as a whole It could be the author of the Philippi mission That was written separately and incorporated Or it could be someone who was with Paul And their personal narrative got into the story um, And he only sporadically traveled with Paul We're not quite sure Um, So it could be Luke himself It could be another source of someone from Philippi That they incorporated into the story Uh, We don't know Uh, But just as quickly as they appear Is as quickly as they disappear in the story Four we passages is what they're called. The we passages. Um, I, I think it is compelling, uh, or very, very, at least very interesting, that the we passages pop up, at least the first two, uh, in Philippi, which gives some credence that there's some first person recollection of the ministry in Philippi. Right. It's a pretty, I think, fair deduction. Induction? Deduction? I don't know. I can never tell those two apart. Deductive reasoning or inductive reasoning? Okay. Um, You seem very concerned about me getting that right. Um, The opposite of what Sherlock does is what this is. Inductive. Sherlock's inductive, so this is deductive. Sherlock's, what? You just said, that's the problem. See, now I have a groove in my head because you said Sherlock is inductive. Do what? Sherlock is deductive. Okay, yeah. Well, now I'm confused. Maybe this is deductive. I don't know. There's some clues there. We put them together and come up with a solution. All right, so verse 37. Um, By the way, if you have not seen the PBS Sherlock, uh, you have not lived. It's amazing. It's with Benedict Cumberbatch. There are only four seasons. You can do it in a weekend dial it up on netflix it's good stuff man just saying did you know that masterpiece theater is doing a, a new uh les miserables miniseries it's gonna be good by the way that's gonna be our linton series next year by the way just saying you laugh all day you laugh all day <laughs> uh, um no it's not gonna be Lent. is it gonna be Lent? might be our summer series might be our summer series it's called the Re- that's gonna be the next book uh, from Abingdon. It's called The Revolution of Grace. Finding Christ in Les Miserables. Uh, which is going to be fun. You know, some of us know the story. Robert, you know the story. You saw it in Dallas. Anywho, verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 37. I really should take my medicine. Um, but I don't have any. But <laughs> <laughs> Verse 37, chapter 16, verse 37. I just want to uh, pull this out in terms of, of Paul being... Uh, a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greek. Uh, but Paul replied, they have beaten us in public uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And now they're going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Because the magistrates want to release Paul in the middle of the night saying, sorry, our bad. Just sneak out the back door. That'd be great. And Paul's like, no, I'm a walk down main street and you're going to walk with me. Right? Uh, so yeah, Paul is not afraid to be Paul <laughs> in front of people. All right. Um, another note, we're getting close here, chapter 17. I love this. So uh, they go to Thessalonica, uh, and there's this great charge against them, which is in uh, verse verse six. I love this. They go to Thessalonica and they, they start messing with stuff. Um, it says, "When they could not find them, they dragged Jason, and they're saying at Jason's house, "Who's Jason?" Uh, well, we don't really know. Um, it's the place where they stayed. Uh, and he's a, he's a saint uh, in the church. There's a feast day for him. Uh, I don't remember the day. Um, but Jason of Thessalonica. They stayed at Jason's house. When they could not find uh, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities shouting, These people have been turning the world upside down. How fortunate we all would be if that was our charge against us. In church, those stinking people from Asbury are turning the world upside down. We should we should write that down. as let that be the charge against us at the end of it all? I love that. Um, moving on, let's let's do um, Paul in Athens. So that's skipping over to um, chapter seventeen, verse sixteen. Chapter seventeen, verse sixteen. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign uh, divinities. That was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the uh, Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. So we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. (laughs) That is a slight against them. Uh, They spent all of their time uh, listening to the latest thing. And that cut me to the core because earlier this afternoon, I was live-streaming the Apple event to see what the new iPhone was. You know, and after I, you know, after I did that, I was like, let me get ready for X. They idled away their time looking at the latest new thing. Oh, well, convicted, right? So, there's that. Um, which, by the way, it looks incredible. Um, <laughs> too expensive. Yeah, I won't have one, but it looks really incredible. Um, yeah, it's only like 1100 bucks after tax. Um, Then Paul stood in in front of them uh, and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. What's the significance of Paul's language there? Remember, he came to Athens and he was distressed because of all the idols. But that's not his first sentence with them. He didn't say, I'm here to preach because all you heathens don't know the real answer. What is his first line to them? Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's using their language. I see that you're very religious with a bunch of idols, but I see that you're really religious and very devoted. Um, The God who made the world and everything in it, He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of their places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Remember, they're trying to listen to this new thing. He's saying, yeah, that's exactly, you should be groping and reaching for God as you are. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. And there he quotes a Greek poem called Phenomena. Sorry. It's called Phenomena uh, by Aratus, A-R-A-T-U-S. He's a 3rd century B.C. Greek poet. And that poem is about the movement of the heavens and the stars. So when he talks about God, this unknown God is actually the creator of everything. And in order for them to understand that, he quotes one of their own poems about the heavens and the stars. How magnificent is that? Paul's very good at what he does. Verse 29, Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. <laughs> I love that. We'll invite you back next Sunday for part two of your series on the God who hung the stars. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus and that person, and a woman named Damaris, or Damaris, and others With them. And thus concludes our reading for tonight. Questions? Concerns? Isn't Bible study fun? Yeah. Okay. Good, good. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, use us as your instrument. Help us to communicate your gospel in whatever context we find ourselves so that the truth will remain consistent though our language may change. May your gospel reach to the ends of the earth and we ask for your spirit to be upon us as we wrestle and as we chew on your word and as we hang on to the Holy Spirit as it moves us and prods us and sends us out into the world. Give us confidence. Give us peace. Fill us with a convicting fire to proclaim the transformative power of your grace. May your spirit be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night.